hits all the time. We are family. double-digit case. We're busting ours. Kick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. It's finally here. Baseball is back in the Nationals. World Series Championship defense starts tomorrow night. Hello, everyone. Welcome into the Mass on All Access podcast. I'm Bobby Blanco from the Mass in Newsroom. Uh, it's an exciting time. Opening day is tomorrow night. The Nationals will open against the Yankees, of course, uh, from Nationals Park as Major League Sports return to America for the first time since the shutdown back in March. And Mark Zuckerman will join me in the show later on to make some bold predictions and possibly talk about some other last-minute summer camp uh, topics before the Nationals break for the regular season. And, of course, the Nats will send Max Scherzer to the mound to face the Yankees' Garrett Cole in the first game of the season in a rematch of Game 1 of last year's World Series. And Max spoke to the media today about what it's going to be like to take the mound on opening night. Um, it's like every opening day. You're, you're extremely excited to uh, get out there and pitch. Um, you know, for me, I know this one, I'm, I'm, I actually feel really good physically. Uh, you know, coming into this, even though I had, we only had – you know, four spring training starts. Uh, I feel like I put myself in a position to be uh, absolutely ready for uh, for opening day with all the things considering. Um, so, yeah, just looking forward to go out there and compete. And I know you guys, obviously, we've, we've asked this a hundred different ways, but you guys did expect to have a full crowd here, you know, a banner in the first weekend, you know, a lot of really exciting things. Um, what what have you kind of been able to do as a team to maybe replace that, if anything? Is, is there a way to replace it? And uh, I guess what's been the approach there? I mean. I, I, <laughs> there's no way to know. Um, you'd have to win the World Series and then have all the fan base with you to really know what we're missing out on. Um, for all of us, I think it was our first World Series, so this is the only thing we know, uh, and we're enjoying it together the way we can, the best way we can, uh, and we're just happy that we are playing baseball. Uh, just a lot of excitement. Uh, everybody's going to have that little anxious bug in to get going uh, just because we've been through so much over the past few months. Uh, and the fact that we have baseball going up here, uh, especially in this country, to be able to get out, get out there and be able to uh, show our game off and be one of the first sports back, um, you know, to go out there and compete during this pandemic. And uh, hopefully we can be, uh, you know, a good influence and show everybody how to do, do this the right way. Also, you have made countless starts throughout your career, but when you're starting on opening day, can you take us through what that day is like just leading up to going to the ballpark? Um, it, it's getting back in the swing of things. Uh, you know, everything's just every, every little thing you do that day is just enhanced. Uh, you're, you're in your routines of, you know, what you do at home, what you do at the field. Um, you know, just getting ready for everything it takes to go into to making a start. Uh, and, you know, you try to simulate those routines as best as possible, uh, you know, leading up to this, but it's nothing like the real thing. So uh, that's what makes it the best. Another important figure on this Nationals team is Sean Doolittle, and of course he's excited to get back to playing. But as always, he has one eye on the greater things that's going on in our country, more important things like the social justice movement and the Black, Lider, Black Lives Matter movement going around this country and, of course, the pandemic. Uh, the MLB today, along with the Nationals, announced that the uh, Black Lives Matter will be engraved into the 
pitcher's mound during opening weekend. And Sean Doolittle was asked earlier today about how if he plans on making any demonstrations, such as kneeling during the national anthem or making any other peaceful protest during opening weekend. I've certainly considered it. I mean, I've been considering it, um, especially here over the last week. Um, but, you know, as a team, um, we're having conversations in our clubhouse over the last two days. Um, you know, I know the Yankees are doing the same thing. Um, we're obviously going first. Um, we're opening opening this thing up. So, um, um, you know, I think it's it, it's really important for, for us um, uh, as a league um, to echo what other sports leagues have done so far. We've seen the MLS. We've seen NASCAR. We've seen Formula One make really powerful statements. Um, obviously, uh, the NBA coming back too. You know, they got some stuff planned as well. So, um, yeah, I, I don't exactly know how it's going to look, but I, I know that there's uh, th- there are a lot of those conversations happening about uh, what guys are going to do. Now we bring in our MassInSports.com Nationals beat writer, Mark Zuckerman, who joins me on a Zoom call. Mark, we made it. We didn't think we would make it all the way here to opening day, but we're just a couple hours away from the Nationals and Yankees uh, starting the MLB season at Nationals Park. It's weird to think, Bobby, isn't it? As lightning and thunder is going yeah, off I heard in that the background one. here. You got that one? Okay, <laughs> yeah. there you go. Uh, so who knows? Anyway, what we should say, the season opens uh, tomorrow, weather permitting. Yeah, shocker. supposed there to is rain a little bit of a night. question. Yeah. Yeah, of course that would be part of the case. But I, I mean, it's weird. I, it, I'm still having a little bit of a hard time coming to, to grips with this, that it is actually going to start given everything we've gone through. So many points along the way that you weren't sure if it was going to happen or not. Um, you know, I suppose there are still obstacles in the way that could prevent it either from starting or certainly from from completing as scheduled. But um, I hope that it comes across as, as something that people are able to enjoy Obviously, there's a lot more important stuff going on in the world right now. Um, you know, I think everybody in baseball understands that uh, and, and, and grasps where they fall into this, where they are as a priority or not as a priority. But, um, you know, hopefully this can help give people something to get excited about and to watch and, uh, you know, take your mind off everything else that's going on in the world. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, we played a sound clip earlier in the podcast from our, Sean Doolittle's press conference from earlier today, and he's talking about how – he was anticipating uh, the players and the na- some of the Nationals players included uh, doing something during the pregame ceremonies tomorrow to kind of acknowledge like the Black Lives Matter movement and then the other social justice movements that have been going on across the country. Uh, before we get into kind of more baseball questions, Mark, since you kind of brought that up um, and we heard about it today from Sean, um, you know, what do you think? We, you know, we've seen some players taking knees during the national anthem. And that was something that we don't really see, haven't really seen in baseball. I mean, a couple of years back, I think we saw an Oakland A's player take a knee during the national anthem, but then uh, nothing really since. And then ever since then, uh, over the past couple of days from exhibition games, we've seen some players um, take a stand, quote unquote, uh, by, by taking a knee um, and doing some peaceful protesting. Do you anticipate uh, the Nationals, Sean Doolittle included, to make some kind of big statement tomorrow night, you know, cause they are opening not just the major league baseball season, but the professional sports season of at least of the big four here in the United States. Right. Look, this is a big event tomorrow night for a lot of reasons. It is uh, essentially the return of major professional team sports 
to America. I know that soccer leagues have been playing. Uh, there's been golf, there's been NASCAR, uh, some other things, but this is really the return of what we consider the major pro team sports. There's going to be a big audience for it nationally. Uh, and I think not just the individual players involved, but I think MLB as a whole understands that this is an opportunity for them uh, to elevate this to something beyond a sporting event. They understand uh, or they're trying to understand how they fit within the larger picture here of what's going on in society, both in terms of the coronavirus and in terms of social protesting uh, and everything else going on in the world right now. So I think you're going to see some things. I think it's probably going to be more coordinated. I think MLB is kind of calling the shots a little bit with this. Um, you are going to see Black Lives Matter. Uh, it sounds like on the mound, perhaps, uh, written in on there, maybe not some other places um, in the stadium. Uh, I think when it comes to any kind of national anthem taking a knee, um, the way that Doolittle has made it sound, and I think this is probably the way to go, I think they've been talking about this behind the scenes in the clubhouse. I don't think anybody's just going to spring anything on anybody else without them knowing about it in advance. And I think he's really trying to take his cues uh, from the African-American members of the team. That would be Howie Kendrick and Michael A. Taylor. Sean doesn't want to go do something on his own. He wants to be uh, helping those players and any others from, from other teams amplify the message that they're trying to give right now. So I think he's going to take his cues from them. And I think whatever you see, it'll be more of a coordinated effort and, and very, um, very conscientious of what, uh, of what others want and not just any... Uh, people going out on their own and trying to make their own individual statement. Yeah, we know Sean is very thoughtful, and of course he always has one eye on what's going on around the world, not just on baseball. And uh, um, I'm sure he, you know, you can include Eric Thames in that conversation as well. Uh, I'm sure he's been being very thoughtful and open-minded about what to do and do it in the right and respectful way. So definitely something to keep an eye on. And I think it's important for baseball to, you know, enjoy that conversation. You know, it's a sport that is mostly white, and uh, you know, you don't see a lot of black athletes in baseball and um I, it's something that i don't want to say they've avoided but we just haven't seen it being part of the conversation in baseball for a long time and you know i think 2020 now it's more important than ever for that for baseball to hop into that conversation so definitely interested to see how not just the nationals but uh teams across teams and players across the league kind of join in that conversation all right mark well we actually do have some some real baseball to talk about um in terms of the sport of course like you mentioned uh, this is kind of small potatoes in terms of what's going on in the world, in our country right now. But it is kind of, we've talked about before, a relief uh, for fans, you know, something to get away from all that stuff and kind of take a break um, with all the important stuff that's going on and enjoy a sport. So let's talk about some of the baseball things. I'm not really quite sure where to begin because there are some questions I have for you that, you know, I, we haven't touched on too much. We talked about the big things so far throughout summer camp, but maybe not the smaller things. I'll ask you this because you uh, – I'll start with this because you had it on the blog the other day. Filling Anthony Rendon's gap in the lineup, batting number three in Davey Martinez's lineup, who do you think is going to be there opening night or, or for the most part throughout the season? Well, here's the thing. Who you see there on opening night may not end up being the guy that you see there most of the season. I think that's interesting. Um, for a lot of spring training and through the first majority part of summer camp, uh, you saw Starlin Castro there. And Davey has spoken about how he really believes he's the right choice on this team, given what they have. Uh, Trey Turner, Adam Eaton, one, two. I think we know that's going to be the same. That's uh, That worked so well last year. 
And then he really likes Soto and Kendrick uh, back to back. Now, some might say, why not put those two guys three and four? And I think his feeling is uh, that he doesn't love having back-to-back lefties with Eaton and Soto. Uh, and I think he feels like Soto's in a little better spot, a little further down, more RBI opportunities perhaps with more guys on base. Uh, and so I think he wants to, his intention is to use Castro in that spot. Now, Castro had a great second half for the Marlins last year. Prior to that point, doesn't really have the kind of numbers you would think of for a number three hitter. And so just because that's the way it starts out doesn't necessarily mean that'll be the way it ends. Uh, he could also do some different things because of the matchup with Garrett Cole on opening night. He may like some different things better. Obviously, we know Juan Soto can hit Garrett Cole. We saw what happens when they face each other last October. So maybe that'd be a case to move Soto up. Um, so I think it could evolve over the course of the season. Uh, it, it feels to me like your best hitter is Juan Soto. He should be hitting third. But we haven't seen him practice how that works with this lineup. And there are, are other considerations, who's ahead of him, who's behind him, how that all balances out. So it, it could be a work in progress as the season plays out. Yeah, we, we talked uh, when Starling Castro signed with the Nationals and then throughout you know, the first heart of spring training 1.0, how you know, Castro had a strong finish to the season last year, strong second half with the Marlins. He changed his swing. He changed his uh, approach at the plate. And saw some numbers. It's nothing like Anthony Rendon did over the course of the year or throughout the postseason last year, but it's going to be helpful, and it's going to be something. I, I agree. I don't. I don't foresee Davey, except for on the rare occasion, he doesn't like bunching up lefties or righties. He likes going righty lefty righty lefty at the top of that lineup, especially with Trey Turner and Adam Eaton um, at the one two spot. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to keep out. But I, I would guess, and this is one of your predictions that we'll get into a little bit later in in this in this conversation. But I would guess Starling Castro, for the time being, is going to be in the mostly in that number three spot, trying to fill the hole uh, for Anthony Rendon, and then setting up Juan Soto and Harry Kendrick and the big power bats behind him. Um, all right, something else that I feel like kind of got swept under the rug during all of this summer camp, uh, at least since the shutdown, is the state of the Nationals bullpen, Mark. And this is something that is a conversation, seems like, every season for the Nationals. We know about the starting rotation. We know about the power in the offense um, and the, the way that they approach uh, at the plate. But the bullpen it seems to always be a question mark. And we maybe talked about this earlier in this calendar year at the start of spring training uh, when Will Harris and, and uh, Daniel Hudson uh, joined Sean Doolittle for this season in, in the back end of the bullpen. But aside from those quote-unquote big three, how else does this bullpen look? What's the state of it? Um, you know, it's going to be – it's a sprint. So the Nationals obviously rely heavily on starting pitching, but they're not going to be able to go as deep as they were accustomed to seeing early on in the season. They might have to rely heavily on some of these arms. Yeah, look, uh, I think it is pretty clear the, the biggest question mark on the team, like it is just about every year. Like we've said, certainly at the beginning of the year, it seems like that's always the case. Um, but there's a few different reasons why I think that is uh, going to be true. Let's start with the guys who they thought were going to be part of the bullpen and who they projected to give them the depth that they didn't have last year. And a lot of these guys are not available to them right now. Wander Suero and Rowanis Elias were supposed to make the team. Uh, they were not cleared to participate at the beginning of camp. They were cleared a few days ago and have started throwing, but they're not ready yet. Uh, so they're going to start in Fredericksburg, build themselves back up, and then we'll see if and when they're ready to join the active roster. But that's two guys that you thought would be there. I thought Fernando Abad, a veteran lefty who was in camp as a non-roster, 
invitee. I thought he had a good chance to make the team as another lefty. Um, he also was not cleared uh, and then finally was released a few days ago. He had gotten to the point where, uh, like a lot of veterans in spring training, they have opt-out clauses. If you don't make the roster, you can opt out and try to get a job with another team. So he exercised that. He's not on the team. Uh, and you mentioned the big three. I I'm not ready to just proclaim all three of those guys good to go uh, with no questions about them. Sean Doolittle uh, in the uh, exhibition finale against the Orioles was throwing 88, 89 miles an hour. He acknowledges it's not where he wants it to be. Uh, this is something we've seen from him before. And the thing with Sean is that when he's right, he's really good. And when he's not, he can be really bad because he relies so much on the fastball. And if he's not getting that up in the zone at 93, 94 miles an hour, it's really not that effective. And so if he's going into the season at anything less than 100%, um, that could be a problem. It could be a real problem for them. Daniel Hudson looked good uh, in his uh, outing against the Orioles. His velocity was up, but here's a guy whose track record has been very spotty up until last season, which was obviously great. So I don't know. You can just say that he's a sure thing. Um, Will Harris, probably the surest bet of them all, uh, given his track record, but he's 35, um, and you never know how long you know reliever is going to sustain it. So, I mean, that's a lot of question marks. You're going to have a lot of guys in this bullpen to start the year that we don't know a lot about, uh, guys who were – maybe brought into spring training and sort of expected to compete for one spot or maybe guys you'd call up during the season. I think three or four of them are going to make the team. So um, it does raise a lot of questions. And it, to me, is the biggest concern about this team moving forward. Usually over the course of a whole season, you kind of get a feel for the bullpen and the roles that they're in. And by the end, you kind of have it all sorted out. Well, you don't have the time to do that now. You got to know right off the bat who you can trust and who you can't. Uh, and, and so that, that creates a real challenge, I think, for Davey Martinez here in the early going. Yeah, and um, some kind of, not, I guess not breaking news, is I wasn't at the park today, but, you know, Byron Kerr, our colleague from the Nationals Park today, had pictures and video of this past first-round pick, Kate Cavalli, throwing on the mound. He struck out Trey Turner, and we also saw former first-rounder Seth Romero throwing off the mound. With all those question marks, are we seeing them throw at Nationals Park, too, not at the Fredericksburg site, at Nationals Park against Major League hitters? Are we seeing them throw now because they might have to – the Nationals might be forced to bring them up early on in the season? Like you said, Suero and Elias are not going to be ready for the start of the season. Or is that just, you know, let's get – while we're here, let's get them a couple of inning, quote-unquote innings um, against Major League pitching. Is that something to look out for? It's more the latter of what yeah. you said. Um, they needed some guys to throw today. It was an opportunity for the big league staff to get to see these kids uh, for the first time and let them face some big league hitters. But what I will say, as they were figuring out who's going to be in that 60-player pool, this was a complicated process because you have to take several things into consideration. One of them is that your younger prospects who have nowhere else to play this year because there's no minor league season, you want to get them work and you want to help them develop their careers. By the same token, you don't know what's going to happen to your big league roster as the 60-game season plays out. There could be a need to make a lot of changes. And so anybody they put into that 60-player pool, they had to know there's a chance, even if it's a small chance, that they would need to be called up to the big leagues at some point this year. So do I think it's likely? No, I think it's highly unlikely. I think it would be a last resort. I don't think they want to do that to those guys. But if you're in that pool, you are eligible and if things got to a point that they, there was so much attrition that they needed some other arms and guys who've already been throwing and fresh and able to give you innings, 
they might be the only choices at some point. You hope it doesn't come down to that. Um, but it, it was part of the, the how they factored in who was going to make that alternate roster in Fredericksburg. Right, yeah. And now sticking with the pitching, but kind of expanding to the starting rotation, Mark, uh, you mentioned Sean Doolittle's velocity was down against the Orioles. To start that game was Patrick Corbin, and his velocity was down too. His fastball seemed like it was only topping out or barely at 90 miles per hour, but he seemed like he was hitting his spots and his off-speed stuff. Is this a greater concern for the Nationals? Because it's not just the back end of the bullpen. It's now one of their three main starters. Um, Steven Strasburg looked strong on Monday. We haven't seen Max since Saturday, but you know we know Max is never going to be shying away from a, a stage like tomorrow night. But, you know, are we still going to be like about a week or so away before we see all these pitchers about where they need to be? Yeah, I think this is a, a really interesting question about the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, it's not just the Nationals. You've seen anecdotally uh, people reporting that pitchers across baseball, their velocity isn't there yet. And I guess that's not necessarily surprising given the situation there is that they're in. There could be a few reasons for this. One, they're trying to ramp up quicker than they would in spring training. Yeah. We all complain about how long spring training is, but there's a reason for it. And I think we're finding out why that is. Uh, they do need time. Pitchers need time to build their arms. Up. Uh, and you can throw at home all you want. You can throw in some simulated games all you want. But until you're really facing hitters from another team in, a, in an actual game situation, it's just not the same. So I think there's that. But I think also there is this aspect of we're asking these guys to feed off an energy of an empty stadium. And, you know, normally, maybe you're not feeling so great on one day, but you, you take the mound and you hear 35,000 fans cheering. It's a big game. There's a lot at stake. And they're able to find that extra burst of adrenaline they need to get up to the mid-90s. Well, that's not going to be there naturally for them this year. They're going to have to summon that up themselves somehow. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see. They, they sort of brush that off as, hey, we're professionals. Um, you know, we're just going to have to deal with it. But I'm really interested to see in practice what that looks like. Like it may not be as easy for them to, uh, to, to come to the park and have the same level of energy and adrenaline that you do with a, a full stadium as what now they're going to have in an empty ballpark. Uh, and so I think it's something to look for. And I would not be surprised if we see velocities down across the league here early on. Will that lead to more offense? I don't know, because a lot of these hitters are still playing catch up too. I, I think, the takeaway is probably going to be that the quality of baseball early on may not be what we're used to seeing. It may, um, you know, resemble more of, of spring training kind of games. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, it's unfortunate to say that because I think everyone's just excited that we're actually going to see baseball, but pump the brakes. It's not going to be as crisp and clean and uh, as exciting maybe in the, on the early get-go that we've become, uh, that we've seen in the past, you know, or we're used to seeing in late July and August and September. But I think, We'll take baseball regardless at this point. Um, I think we're just happy to see it. You mentioned empty stadiums, and Mark, this is more of a broader question in terms of across the league because it is kind of a hot news story of today and yesterday in the past couple of days is that the Toronto Blue Jays don't have a place to play right now. You know, the, the Canadian government did not grant them access to use Rogers Stadium in Toronto. Um, now we're seeing today that the state of Pennsylvania is not going to let them use PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Um, and you know this affects the Nationals because the Toronto Blue Jays are supposed to be their first road road trip. Uh, Toronto comes into D.C. Uh, early next week for two games, and then it's supposed to be a road game uh, for the Nationals against the Blue Jays. What can you tell us about the latest on where that game could possibly be? Are they just going to stay in D.C.? Could it move up to Baltimore? I mean, there are so many things up in the air right now. We're not sure where the situation is going to land. 
Yeah, it is um, completely up in the air right now. Uh, unfortunately, you wouldn't want this to have to be the case on the eve of opening day. But I think we all have to also remember and get used to the idea that things are going to be changing every day as the season plays out. And as much as we think one thing may be set in stone, you can't just assume that. A lot of things are going to change between testing, between ballparks, between different local municipalities and what they allow and what they don't allow. Look, ultimately, it's up to each of these individual governments uh, to decide whether games can be staged in their cities or not. We saw with the Nationals some hiccups with the, the D.C. government and whether or not they uh, you know, would have to follow the protocols that D.C. has set in place. So um, I feel bad for the Blue Jays, for their players uh, and everyone who works for them because an already difficult situation is getting even more complicated. Um, as far as when the Nationals play them, the most logical thing at this point, because they're already playing in D.C., uh, next Monday and Tuesday, they were then supposed to go to Toronto and play each other again Wednesday and Thursday. Well, it would make a lot of sense just to stay in D.C. and play, play all four games in a row in D.C. and just let the Blue Jays be the home team for the last two games. It's not ideal, but that seems like the simplest thing to do. Um, but after that, they face a lot of uh, a really difficult situation. It's not so easy just to say, well, just go play all your games on the road. Uh, whoever you were supposed to play, just play them in that team city. Because think about this. Let's say a team is scheduled to go to Toronto as the middle part of a three-city trip. Okay. Well, now that team is going to, you know, let's say it's New York. And then they're supposed to go to Toronto, but now they have to go back home to, you know, Tampa. Let's say it's the Rays. To now face the Blue Jays for one series and then go back on the road to Boston or something like that. So it, it, it's not as, as simple as it sounds. Um, it's a really complex situation. The minor league park in Buffalo is not really up to major league standards at this point. Um, I know Camden Yards makes sense some of the times, but the Orioles are there a lot. And every time, if, if they take over another team's park, every time one of those teams leaves town, you have to completely clear out the clubhouse, clean it, and then let the other team in. And then you're basically doing this every week, essentially, as teams come in and out. It, it's really a mess. It's very unfortunate. And, and it may just end up having to be a let's take it week by week situation for the Blue Jays. Yeah, it's unfortunate for them and their fans because, you know, you don't want to see a team that possibly gets, you know, too lagged down and too tired and from all the traveling and then the product changes and maybe they kind of don't stop playing and winning games um, later in the season because it's just too and, tired. And, and, that, and this can affect, you know, the ultimate standings. You know, when right. you're only playing your own division in the opposite league's division, um, teams from the East are going to be playing the Blue Jays. And if that's not – if they're not really – able to play the way you know that they want to this year, that can affect what the eventual standings are. And it's just one of many reasons I think we have to be careful about not judging this season too much on one loss records yeah. because this is not an even playing field for everybody, not even close to it. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, while we won't judge the season too much, we can do some predictions for the season. Uh, Mark, you have a longstanding tradition of posting on opening day morning uh, the media predictions for uh, the Nationals beat um, and the different little categories you our questions you ask, um, a, a questionnaire you send out to the whole media. I look forward to every opening day. was robbed of it in late March, but now we have an official opening day tomorrow. What can you tell us about? Well, first of all, what's your, like, your overall preview of the Nationals season? And maybe we can get into a couple of those predictions uh, after that. Yeah, um, I'm going to hold off giving you my exact numbers and, and prediction for the Nationals so that everyone has to read the article tomorrow morning because, you know, Smart that's man. what we're all about here, of course. Uh, and, you know, and there's still some outstanding votes I'm waiting to hear from a few people, so I don't want to influence, uh, you know, anybody what they might be thinking. 
But here's what I'll say, and it kind of goes back to the point I made before. This season isn't necessarily about who the best teams are. Um, and a team's final record may not really be reflective of how good a team they were. It's going to be reflective of the schedule they played. It's going to be reflective of how healthy they stayed and whether they lost guys to the COVID-19 injured list or not. And then the domino effects of that, of, of who else was exposed to those people who tested positive. Um, it's a really weird season for a lot of reasons. And so my prediction on the nationals is that I think they're going to be good, but I think being in the East is a disadvantage for them that the NL East is tough already. We know that the AL East is tough as well. And if you don't win your division, I think this is especially true for the teams in the East. You're going to have a really hard time. I think making the wild card game because now you're being compared the teams from the central and the West will have played completely different schedules. They will not have faced one common opponent. So like, look at how it was last year. The Nats ultimately were measuring up against the Brewers, uh, the Cardinals, the Cubs. Uh, I can't remember if it was the Diamondbacks that maybe were, were sort of on the fringes of it in the NL West. Well, that, if that's how it plays out this year, I just have this feeling that the wild cards are going to come from the other divisions. And so without giving away too much here, I think the Nationals could have what we would call a good season, and we still think of them as a good team, but could end up falling short because of that wild card race. And the other part of this is it's all going to be really tightly bunched. You know, in a 60 game season, you may have five teams within two games of each other. Yeah. Absolutely. And I would not be surprised if that happens at all. And so I think you're going to see teams that are slightly above 500, and it may only be a matter of one or two games that, that separates them all. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of the predictions or not predictions, uh, projections uh, to, before the start of the regular season, and they have the, the Annalise is one of the tightest, not the tightest races. You know, the Braves, Nationals, Phillies, and Mets all being separated by three games or less at the top of that division. So it's definitely going to be interesting. And, and, you know, usually by this time, I allow myself and my friends to get a little panicked if the Nationals aren't doing so hot uh, because I don't allow it. In May or, or April, because it's too early in one sixty-two game season. But in a sixty-game season, I think you know every game counts, and I think it warrants you can, you know, a five-game losing streak is equivalent to like a fourteen-game losing streak in a regular season. So you can't afford to do that um, in, in a season like this. All right, well, so we won't go into like specific final standings, final season predictions, but let's maybe try to do some um, uh, player totals. Uh, that you uh, you laid out for us and for the other media members in, in DC media. Um, how many home runs will Juan Soto hit in 60 game season? Uh, I think I put down 13 for him and that basically equates to about a 40 homer season. I think give or take a little bit. Uh, I think he's going to be very good this year. I don't think there's any question about that. Even though he missed the first two weeks of camp, he's come in and he and Howie Kendrick look like they haven't missed a beat. They're probably the most, most ready hitters in the lineup that I've seen so far. Um, I expect a big year from Soto. Now, not having Rendon probably hurts him a little bit. Uh, but if he does have Howie hitting behind him and Howie's healthy and productive, then you can't pitch around him. We've seen Juan's perfectly comfortable taking his walks as well. Um, so I, I like a big season for him. I did and, and, and with home yeah. run totals, remember, they're starting here in late July. So the weather's warm. The ball's going to carry. You're not dealing with those April and May cold weather games where maybe the ball doesn't travel. So I think that could inflate the home run numbers as well. An excellent point, and I have 13 as well for Juan Soto. I also look at the pitching matchups. You mentioned the strong divisions, but with a handful of games against the Marlins, the Orioles, 
the Red Sox, um, the Blue Jays. I, some of those pitching staffs don't look too strong to me. And I think Juan Soto, we saw him kind of eat up already the Orioles of the past couple of couple of days no home runs but he's hitting the ball pretty hard i think juan soto can feast on some of these lesser pitching staffs that they face in the east um how many bases will trey turner steal uh i was going off a 50 pace for the season so i think i have him around 17 i think wow is my number um you know i feel like every year we predict these big numbers for him and unfortunately he never gets there either because he gets hurt or you know it's actually hard to steal bases uh, in the big leagues. Trey's really fast. He's really good at it. But um, the way that the sport is designed right now, it's not that easy to rack up big totals. So again, we got to, we have to reduce our expectations here in such a short season. You know, 17 could easily lead the league in a 60 game season. Yeah, absolutely. I, you have them way higher than I have at 12. Um, well, I think I'm getting my numbers. I did a lot of math when I was went through in this because I, I actually got lucky because I did a fantasy baseball draft the night before and Thankful to the platform that we use. They have their 2020 projections. He was a little lower than that, actually, even for stolen bases. But then using baseball references, uh, simulated games, statistics through 99 games, I guess it was the night I did it, he was a little higher than that. So I was kind of taking a median average or trying to average at that pace over a 60-game season. I had him at 12 um, for no other reason than that's what my math calculated um you had a more smarter nothing wrong with that math math is good i'm a supporter of math i i I mean i I would like to i also feel like trey turner with trey turner we always like predict he's gonna steal 50 and it always ends up around like 30 34 35 whatever it may be so you know he hasn't had that breakout um basis stealing season yet i don't think um and you know it might be tough this season because everyone knows he's gonna want to go uh once he gets on base um okay just do a couple more here before you kind of wrap up um, what will Howie Kendrick's batting average be? You mentioned him earlier. What will his batting average be at the end of the season? Yeah, I think he's going to be just fine. I don't think he's going <laughs> to miss a beat at all. It's it's basically a matter of him staying healthy. But the fact that he can DH a lot helps tremendously yeah. for him this year. Um, and I, I think he gets a bulk of his at-bats probably as a DH. Maybe play first base when they're facing the lefty and Eric Thames has the day off. So I think Howie's going to do very well. I think I had him at 317 or 318. For batting average down a few points, you know, from last year when he was just out of this world. Uh, but but I, I think he's still gonna be very effective. Down a few points. I'm pretty sure he hit three forty something last year. So Yeah, you're right. Three forty four. Yeah, right. three forty four. So just a little bit. And I think we even got go ahead. But you know, I mean we're talking about three a three eighteen batting average is being like down a lot, yeah. which you know that tells you just how good he was last year. Right. I had him at three fifteen and I think um, our colleague Paul Mancano calculated in three exhibition games, he hit like 363 or something like that, something ridiculous. So, I mean, he, he seems ready. seems like he hasn't stopped playing baseball since last October. Um, okay, an important question. This is more um, in terms of how the Nationals will field their team. How many games will Carter Keboom start at third base? Yeah, I went a little bit low on this one. I think I was in the 28th range out of the 60 games. Um this is a complicated situation for the team. They believe in Kibum. They want to see what he can do. They think he is the future. At the same time, they're trying to win every game this year. And they have to do that for the situation they're in. I think you're going to see as Drupal Cabrera on opening night because it's a better matchup against Garrett Cole. I do think you'll see Kibum, you know, probably more than Cabrera early on. But if he struggles, especially in the field, and if they're in a, a competitive race, and they feel like Cabrera can help them win games more, more so in the field, I think, than at the plate. I could see a scenario where it ends up being Cabrera getting a lot of playing time 
down the stretch. So I guess I have it working out almost 50-50 in the end with Cabrera getting a little bit more uh, than Keyboom. It, it just, it kind of depends on what your philosophy of this season is. I think there's a, a strong argument to say, just put Carter out there. Let him play every day, sink or swim, learn from the experience. Don't feel pressure that, oh, if he has a couple bad games, he's going to be benched. Uh, but I get the sense that they are viewing this as a let's win this year's situation and not as a developmental year. And because of that, I think Cabrera will end up playing more. Yeah, I, I, uh, I agree with that sentiment. I am had him a little lower. I had him at 21. I was going to do 20, but that sounded too much like a round number. I don't see it being too split even, so I went up and went 21. I think Cabrera will play more, definitely at least starts more at third base. And I actually think we'll see that philosophy of maybe trying to go on and off with them early on in the season. But I think, I don't know if Carter's ready yet. I mean, what we it's limited action, I know, in summer camp and in the exhibition games. But I think Davey Martinez will just trust as Drupal Cabrera was bad, plus his switch hitting ability um, at third base more than Carter Keyboom's um, and, and his defensive struggles and his at-bat struggles. Maybe he'll come around and maybe it'll be a little more split. Um, but I think we'll – I'm predicting that we'll see Carter Keyboom kind of slip off as we get near mid-August and stuff uh, and later in the season and Cabrera will kind of assume that role full-time. I thought it was interesting, too, that uh, Davey Martinez kind of – Went back on his not went back on his word, but circumstances changed. In one of his press conferences last week, he's basically saying Cabrera it might be or might be our guy to start the season. Um, well, Mark, thanks so much for joining me. I know um, you're we're all really busy right now, getting ready for opening night. Uh, the Nationals of the Yankees on Thursday night, of course. The National broadcast as uh, sports return to United States of America. So I appreciate the time. Um, enjoy the game tomorrow night. Hopefully, all the rain comes tonight and not tomorrow night. And uh, we'll have a clean baseball game to watch for the first time um, since the Game 7 of the World Series. Yeah, look, hey, it's it's nice to be able to have baseball topics to talk with you. And I'm really looking forward to the next time we talk, having stuff to talk about that actually has happened in real games that yeah. matter. <laughs> Finally, um, let's hope that everything else is able to be taken care of safely so that we can talk about baseball. Yeah, absolutely. At Mark Zuckerman on Twitter. And, of course, give him a follow on the blog on MassinSports.com. He'll have all of your coverage. Uh, along with Byron Kerr from Nationals Park on opening night and throughout opening weekend. Mark, thanks again. All right. Thank you, Bobby. Thanks again to Mark Zuckerman for joining me. And, of course, thanks to Paul Mancano and Hannah Broder for all the help behind the scenes. Just a reminder that Nationals opening night tomorrow night is on ESPN at 7 o'clock. And Saturday's game against the Yankees is at 7.15 on Fox, both national broadcasts. But our first Masson broadcast will be on Sunday. Dan and Bo will have you pregame and postgame. And Baba FP and Alex will have you, of course, during the game as the Nationals face the Yankees. That's going to do it for this week's Mass and All Access podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next week.